Hi, I'm Jim. And I'm David. And this is the Practical Guitarist Podcast. The podcast for people who eat, sleep, and breathe guitar. Hi, Jim. Hi, David. That laugh, you know what that means, guys. That means Jim's number one. I am number one in Dave's book. Always. Every week. (laughs) Let me tell you, today and and, in many days, Jim and I have conversations via um, Facebook Messenger pretty much all day long, off and on. And uh, Jim lately, man, you've just been like sending me shit like you're like angry or something. I don't know what the deal is. I didn't do nothing to you, man. I'm telling you. Um, what? <laughs> I didn't do anything to you. I didn't. I, didn't, I wasn't angry. I'm just saying that the messages come off angry, and it's like I don't know if you're angry at me or if you're just angry at the world. Uh, or... I've been. I've had a. I've had a bad few days. You're just mad because so, John McCain died. I get it. That's yep. That was part of it. Um, actually, it wasn't. But so um, uh, we had some drama as <laughs> happens in. In bands, and now our band is no more. Oh, so you guys um, actually officially disbanded now? Yeah. So, so I, how I thought do you, I told you that. Oh no, I did. Well, so I kind of inferred that that would would happen, but I didn't know it had. Yep. So now that that's done, how do you handle like your remaining dates? So, um, the uh, two of the guys we had a four piece band. Two of the guys are going to continue as a duet. Um, the bass player and the other guitarist. Duet. Oh, never mind. Yeah, I know. Instead of saying, hey, how about a trio? Um, anyway, without a drummer, we don't need one. Uh, um, Jim, you're uh, a one-man you, army. You're fine. I am. Um, so they're going off. And, and I'm not, believe me, um, I'll, I'll get a little more into it. So they're going to do, they're offering to do the duet thing. Um, so if uh, the place wants to bring them in as a duet, that's fine. If not, um, so I'm going to go solo. Um, and, uh, if I find somebody to, to add into it, I will, but I'm just going to do, you know, a, a solo thing. And the guys that are doing the duet, they said, Hey, look, you know, on weekends, we're not using the gear. You can use the gear, um, you know, the PA and so on and so forth. And oh, bring yeah. it over. That, that's nice of them. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I, hey, helps me out. Um, around here, I could, I can work right through until thanks through and including Thanksgiving. And of course, into Christmas, um, I could easily do four or five days a week if I wanted to. So it's not like I can't just go throw my, um, my demo to a, uh, you know, there's a lot of booking agencies here and I can easily get, get the work. So it's not that big a deal. Um, it's just a little more, it it was first, I was sad and I was, I was angry because the drummer, left and i'll go ahead and throw him under the bus because fuck him um <laughs> jim's going through he, some shit <laughs> yeah i mean he came in and, and i went there and i got my stuff because he's like yeah I'll take you guys through the end of the year and we're like yeah we're not going to rehearse at his house anymore so i went to his place and i got all my rehearsal stuff and i brought it back to my house and um while i'm there he he volunteers because i didn't ask him anything i'm like yeah i'm just gonna take my stuff and get the hell out he volunteers that oh yeah I've, um, i'm starting a new band that does all the same material only we're going to do it better and we're going with a booking agency yeah i'm like you son of a bitch you told us you didn't want to do a booking agency because 
it was too many days and you didn't want to. And now you're going to go and do all the stuff you told us you wouldn't do with us. Fuck you. It's like having a woman that goes, you know, I really liked you, but I wish you were taller. Yeah, I, I, I wanted to fix you and I couldn't. Yeah. yeah, I wanted to fix you and I can't. So screw you. I'm off with this better man. All right. All right. All right. So just being the outsider here, Jim, you don't really have to give the whole story, but just being the outsider here. And and I've been, I've heard this stuff coming back and forth in these Facebook messages over the last couple of weeks. And like, honestly, my impression of this whole situation is you guys sat down at the beginning and you did what every good band should do when they're, when they form is they have the discussion of like what everybody actually wants. Right. And, and if, if, you know, somebody's not in line with that, they need to speak up then Yep. Or forever hold their peace. But what it sounds like is you had like three other guys who didn't give a shit about like what, you know, what the rest of the group wanted. And then they were, yeah. and they were just going to secretly like usurp it or, or network and, and get out of it anyway. Yeah. I mean, well, no, the, the other guy uh, uh, usurped it and he had, he, um, uh, there was this guitar player that would show up at our gigs in the beginning and he, and he had no uh, social skills. You know, he wouldn't look you in the eye. He was that guy that always looked at his feet when he was talking to yeah, you or yeah, looked yeah, over, yeah, right, you know, right, right, at the right. side. Yeah. And um, so now he's going to work with that guitar player. He's gonna, and he's like, oh, yeah, we're going to do great. We're gonna, I'm like, you know what? I don't care if you do great. I don't care if you do shitty. It's just you. We could have done this together. And someone that's the thing about adults. And those of you who are in cover bands, obviously, and who do this thing. When the when they say no drama, first thing you know is there will be drama. Yeah, it doesn't matter. You, there's nothing you can do about oh, that. That's going to happen regardless. Um, yep. It goes back to that whole hired gun thing where, you know, yeah, part, I'd rather be a hired it's gun. Ton, it's ton. It's really easy to find great hired guns. It's super yep. difficult to find guys that are worth it because right. they can get along. Like that's yep. the hard part is finding people with the right personalities to get the job done. Yeah. And and it doesn't it doesn't happen often. I was in a country band um, for several years, uh, and when they when they brought their bass player back, because I replaced the bass player, when they said, "Hey Jim, we're going to bring the bass player back," they didn't say, "We don't need you anymore." You know what they did? They kept me, and they put me over. They said, "You can continue to play guitar." Yeah, yeah. And I was like, "Dude, that's that's awesome. That's really cool." Um, we and, have. And, yeah, we have in our area, we have a couple of bands and, and they get hired a lot. Um, and, I, and I actually know one of them pretty closely um, where they don't actually have an official like band roster. It's like maybe I think it's just two of the guys. It's the drummer and the bass player and the, and the bass player happens to sing and they go around these places that they just hire a guitar player and a keyboard player to sit in with them. And yeah. it, dude it is hysterical because they're freaking great. Because really, what do you what do you, if you're a dance hall band like at the club selling for beers and you know while people dance, the right. what do you need? You need a good rhythm section, right? So that makes sense. Like I don't know yeah. why it never occurred to me why more bands don't do that. But then, but then that gets over all the scheduling problems. As long as they want to play, like they can find somebody to fill in. You know, it's you know, like you were saying, a band, a party band is is one thing and that is they bring the party right you have to be you have to have a positive attitude while you're up there your smiles and, and you gotta be funny and, you know right the front person that helps the front person is good looking 
Right. Um, you know, if you're a man, you're tall. If you're a woman, you're female. I mean, well, um, are you saying Phil? Much Co- are you saying Phil Collins is out of the question here? Yeah, Phil Collins. I don't know how the heck. He's um, the most unlikely rock star on earth. He is, <laughs> and if you watch South Park, he's definitely not a likely rock star. But, um, you know, he the thing that you've got is that that um, like I said, it helps for men. It, it really is the exact opposite of of what most people would think. Uh, well, what most people would expect, I think, and that is you can you can have a band, a cover band, and if you could just get a girl. She doesn't actually have to have any talent whatsoever. And that's a sad, by the way, but it's real reality. I'm just going to throw out reality here. She can just stand there. Well, the tam- I mean, the tambourine girl. Yeah. We've all heard and this. Just, We've all heard this and seen this. When you yeah. go into a bar and there's a band playing and there's some, some girl that looks like she's singing backup vocals and banging a tambourine all night. Yep. She's just there and to stand there. Her microphone is not on. In a lot of cases, it's not. I mean, that's- Yeah. Or if it is, it's out of tune, and you're like, "What the hell is this?" Um, now, don't get me wrong; I'm not saying there isn't there aren't I'm a lot sure of there talented are. and ex- excellent players. But the thing is that let's let's face it, you know, when it, when you look at um, as a whole, you go out there, um, a female fronted band will bring in people, and it's because I think I think, of course, I'm not um, a woman. I think it's because women, um, I think, have a easier time um relating to that front person that is a woman than yeah, may- they do maybe, to maybe. a male front person maybe i think it's also so i'm trying not to be gender biased but when you're in school and people want to do choir and chorus and those kinds of things those are typically female dominated activities at least they were when i was in school um, yep. And I'm sure that's changing now because the, the roles of gender equality are obviously changing rapidly. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I could certainly see like, oh, it's easier to pick up, uh, you know, a female singer who can do these tunes because they have the, the actual musical talent to begin with since they were trained on it when they were in high school. And maybe they kept singing, you know, semi-professionally or something afterwards. I could definitely see that that transitional thing when we were when we were first starting our bands like in. um high school and stuff like a lot of what we were trying to do is recruit recruit kids out of either choir or um people that sang in church like those are all things that we did because we were like these people at least know how to sing you know actually my band we tried to recruit people that that um were wild and crazy that was kind of our thing but um we we were hit and miss on that (laughs) so well you know, and, and then you have so I've I've been in several um, male and female fronted bands, and I've been the front person for bands. Um, and the you know it always helped when the stage was a little higher because I'm really short. But um, <laughs> but uh, when um, when you get out there, it's all about the front person having a connection with the audience. And I just think that people in general um, find female um, front persons, um, easier to connect with, honestly. I mean, when it comes to your audience, maybe it's more more inviting or something. It's probably something subconscious about it. Yeah. That doesn't mean that there aren't plenty of, um, you know, incredibly talented, uh, women out there that are doing it, but there are a lot of bands that just use women for, and it's unfortunate by the way, I'm not, I'm certainly not saying 
I'm not condoning this behavior. No. They're like, yeah, you just stand over here, look good and, and dance and the band will do without, you know, we right. just need you to get people in the door. Right. I, I yeah. can't think of like a lot of those female fronted acts locally that don't have that kind of situation going on where it's like, you're only here part of the time. And then yeah. my personal favorite is when like the, the male lead singer comes up to sing a couple of tunes and then she, she can, yeah. she's nowhere to be found. Cause she's yeah. not playing keyboards. She doesn't pick up a yeah. you know acoustic guitar and accompany him. Like it's like nope, she's off having a, get out of here a cigarette. Yeah, it's like get out yeah. of here now. We don't need you. It's it's really weird. Um, I always thought that was an interesting dynamic. But yeah. um, what we decided on a topic this week, Jim. I think we probably That's should right. get to it. And speaking of that, it's what's in your gig bag? Yep. What's in your gig bag? What's in your gig bag? I so let's talk a little bit about the things that are always in a gig bag, right? And um, I should preface this with something that that is um, if you're going to do it, um, what's in your gig bag thing you should always talk about what are you doing? Because that's going to. Yes, it makes a major uh, impact. Right. So for me, I would say probably 95 percent of the time my gig bags either going to a rehearsal or it's yeah. going with me to my parents place where I have my big amps that I can turn up. Um, I I have the fortune, a good fortune of having a condo myself and having them live like less than a mile away. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, wow. You could walk over there. Yeah, I do walk over there. In fact, so the gig bag often is on my back. Um, but basically, I mean, you're going to find in my gig bag, you're always going to find an extra strap. You're going to find a tremolo bar. You're going to find a set of strings, a tuner, uh, usually a clip-on tuner, but not always. And then, like, it's not a tuma. Yeah, it's not a tuma. Um, and then uh, maybe a fuzz pedal, and that's usually just what I throw in before I walk out. Um, I actually, so I don't carry a gig bag super often on my back, um, and I have the Helix, and that goes in a separate bag, and that's, I mean, that's a gig bag too. Like, I actually carry my cables in. That's what I carry. Um, any extra tools I'd need. I usually have a set of strings in there. All my picks go in there. Um, the picks I use, I've been using these Dunlop stubby triangles, which if you've never seen them, they're huge. And I think they're four millimeters thick. They're freaking, they're the fattest thing I've ever seen. Jim used to play bass with them. Um, yeah, <laughs> but they're, they're massive. And it's so funny because like, I went back to try to play my, uh, my Dunlop, uh, two millimeters or, uh, even the, um, cause I use V picks as well. I have the V pick red triangles. I have like seven or eight of those. Um, and I have some, some, uh, I have a gravity pick and then I have, which the gravity is a, is a triangle as well. I I'm big on the, the smaller triangles. The, the stubbies are huge. I pick those other ones. They, they're dwarfed like, and I can't use anything else now, but yeah, you know, that's why I carry picks in my bag because I always have, you know, I can have the higher end ones that I, that I want to use more often and I don't carry them on my pocket or anything cause I lose them. So it makes more sense. It there's, you know, some of those V picks are like seven or eight bucks a piece. Actually, I think some of them are up to $20 a piece. I don't buy any of those, but I, but I just throw them in my bag and that's the only way I can keep them. Um, but that being said, uh, I do like to carry a, uh, like either a multi-tool or a knife with me. You never know when you need it. Tape. That's another thing. Um, I used to carry masking tape. I haven't been real good about that in the last couple of years. Uh, but the masking tapes for labeling things and usually a Sharpie, you gotta have a Sharpie flashlight. 
Yep. But yep. other than that, like I don't really carry a ton. I mean, it's kind of a little mini, mini tactical bag. There's no gun in there or anything like that. Um, which I know guys that what I know guys that have gone to gigs with guns in their bags. Uh, oh yeah, I because because like they're either in a rough neighborhood or um, that was just the way the blues guys used to do it years ago. You know, they used to carry a bag because or carry a bag with a gun in it just because if they, the promoter decided they weren't going to pay them, <laughs> they could threaten them. Um, there's a big story that, that Joe, uh, I guess it's Joe Barden said, uh, told on, um, on, uh, Amps and Axes where he talked about going on the tour bus for the first time. And it was, uh, I want to say, uh, who was it? I don't remember who, who it was, but he, he got paid and they had like a briefcase full of cash it was like chain, like chained to basically what was a stripper pole in the back of the bus, and and in the the briefcase full of cash was like a, a thirty eight special, because <laughs> they, they never knew they didn't know what the hell they were going to have to get themselves into. Uh, with a yeah. Peter, Peter Grant, yeah. the uh, I think it was Peter Grant that was the uh, the manager for Led Zeppelin that allegedly carried a baseball bat around just just in case, like yeah, they used that in um, uh, almost what famous was the movie Spinal Tap. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. That was that, that was something that that they actually used to do. Uh, he yeah. used to carry it around, and like he'd never he he would have it on his shoulder or whatever, and he'd be talking to people like, you know, yeah. just so you know, yeah, this is, <laughs> I'm in charge. <laughs> yeah, and then this is Spinal Tap. It was a it was a cricket bat. Yeah, yeah. To make um, it to make it funny, right? Um, but it might have been cr- cricket bat for real. They are British. Uh, but, yeah, but yeah. So I mean, what do you what do you got in your your bag, Jim? All right, so. <clears throat> I pretty much have a mirror image of everything I have on stage, believe it or not. So I have tubes for my amp, um, which, <clears throat> you know, not crazy about changing them on the spot, but sometimes you might have to. Of course, they're, you know, they're not adjusted, so you have to do that later. Um, I carry fuses. Um, I carry, I always have, these are some things that you probably do have, but you left out. Um, but then again, you're going to your parents' place or your, yeah, your I mean, I'm not gigging. Places. If I was gigging, I'd have a box of tubes and that kind of stuff too. So. Yep. So I have, a uh, um, uh, extension cords. Yep. Um, power conditioner. Um, I have, a um, so a Furman power conditioner that sits at the end of a, you know, an extension cord. Um, it's not the perfect thing, but it, it does the job. Because you don't want things to get blown up. I've had that those, I think they were selling those for like twenty nine dollars at uh, Sweetwater Gear Fest. Oh, shut up! Yeah, I got to get me another one. Yeah, I hope um, they do it again next year because I'm gonna buy like two or three. <laughs> obviously, XLR cables of different lengths. I usually keep a five, ten, a fifteen, and a twenty. Um, same with guitar cables. You know why? Because I might get to the place and a twenty foot cable is just too much, mm-hmm. or I get to the place and a twenty foot cable barely makes it, so I'll put a five at the end of it. Uh, the other um and of course from the back of the amp same thing um so i have various like i said various xlrs various um lengths of guitar cables same reason i always um i keep i bring a speaker cable but i always put um a piece of uh colored uh, electrical tape around it to indicate that that's speaker cable cuz like we said before you don't want to use your speaker cables for guitar cuz you won't hear much yeah, I always make sure that my speaker cables look nothing like my guitar cables. Not that it's just a, a label like that, but I even the ones I buy are like way bigger, thicker, beefier. Yeah, yeah, that's what I have too. And then, um, but I I like to just make sure. And then, of course, um, I uh, 
you don't want to use a guitar cable for an amplifier. Um, the other uh, the other things I keep obviously strings. I try to keep a set of nines and tens in the in the bag just in case. Mm-hmm. Uh, not because I'm thinking, wow, I want to change my uh, you know guitar. It's just that like, oh geez, my string broke and I've got a lot of tension, you know. Uh, so I need to I need to get some tens to pull the neck up. I may as well just wrap some tens on it when I'm there or whatever. Um, a string winder. I don't know, you say I've never needed that. I yeah. most all my gigging guitars have locking tuners. I so, have locking tuners. Yeah, I don't but, need it then. But except for the the uh, SE that doesn't have locking tuners, it's got locking tremolo. Um, or, yeah, the locking trem system. Oh yeah, um, fuck that! If you break a string, you're screwed anyway. Two flashlights. I always carry two. You know why? Somebody borrows it when you're when you're trying to use yeah. yours. Somebody wants to borrow it. I just never Although use mine. I should <laughs> tell them, yeah. I should tell him to fuck off. That was my drummer from before, by the way. Yeah. So that's for him. Um, but um, so I, I usually have a couple of flashlights. Plus, you never know when the battery goes out. Batteries, I carry um, nine volt, double um, A's, triple A's, um, because I have uh, one of those, um, uh, an iPad page turning thing, and that uses triple A batteries. And you got stuff that uses double A batteries, use your flashlight, things like that. Um, and uh, that's pretty much it. I have an extra, like, I'll, I'll have a distortion cable in the bag just in case my distortion cable goes out. Or, I mean, distortion um, uh, pedal goes out. Um, stuff like that. I, I, I carry a second vocal mic. I always carry, um, even though I haven't been using it, I brought my um, 1x12 cabinet just in case. And an SM57 or E609 and a uh, um, short um, mic stand for that um so yeah i kind of try to double up i'm i'm looking for something here real quick i wanted to i wanted to bring this up to the group so if if any of you guys you guys use amazon i'm sure everyone does at some point um so i get shipping notifications are texted to my phone and uh i get this one this afternoon for something that was delivered and there there's a point to this just just trust me so I'm in the middle of year no gear and uh I'm standing uh-huh. in, I'm standing in the hallway and I'm looking at my phone because I'm like, well, I didn't order anything. What am I wanting? This is crap. I look down at my phone and it says, Delivered your Amazon package with Youth Lab Radiance Roller Germanium Stone Uplifting Face. So what do you think when you think Germanium face? Right? Yeah. So, so yeah. then I I'm like, my wife bought me something. She was being nice to me. And so I logged into the Amazon app to see what it actually was. And I look, and it's a stone uplifting face massage device. Oh, yeah. I'm like, are you fucking kidding me? Germanium? What the hell? What has it got germanium in it for? What in God's name? There's some sort of powder in this thing or some shit. It's got this germanium. I'm like, fuck. I saw that. I, I saw that on her page. She she posted it and I said, What the I, I about lost it. I was like I was like, are you fucking kidding me? I, I I just I had a moment. I was like, my wife actually like she feels bad about year of no gear. I'll, no, I'll she don't give something. a fuck. Like No, she didn't. <laughs> I'll tell you what, I'll tell you what, I saw her post it on the website and I saw the shape and the size of it and I went, I wonder what that's for. But anyway, um, no, it's not what you think it is, and it's not even that <laughs> size. Um, 
But it's it's funny. Like I I want to I want to back up for a minute because I'm like, oh, my wife doesn't care. Listen, my wife understands the sacrifices I'm going through. Um, I I, w- I did want to give her a congratulatory thing. She she finally finished her uh, cosmetology school, which has been a big thing in this household. It's kept me from doing a lot of things. Kept her from doing a lot of things. Right. Uh, yep. In the last two years, so yeah. it's a huge deal to have her do that. And so congratulations, uh, Miranda, Andy. Yeah. Um, we really appreciate you know everybody bearing with me when I when I get these episodes in late and all that stuff. Cause it's usually, yeah. you know, semi related. Cause you're, yeah, you're, you're yeah, you're going, I'm running, through all I'm running, I'm burning the candle at four different ends. <laughs> yep. So <clears throat> speaking of that, so with the solo thing go, coming in, oh, and I do carry picks. I usually have packs of them. I'll show you. Um, I have like a, it, what's a cool thing to get for a lot of your small stuff. Don't go out and buy these guitar centric things. Go to Walmart or something. Get one of those little tackle boxes or even the little ones that are um, – it's not a full-on box. Or the container store. Yeah. I, I love the container store. Yeah, these little plastic things. And so I keep I keep whole brand-new sets of my Jazz 3s in the, um, in the gig bag. <laughs> those tiny so, little fucking picks. Yep. I yep, could. I, 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 <laughs> You're going to laugh if I come if I come out there this year. I'm bringing one of these stubbies with me. I'll tell you, I'll tell you so I, I, yeah, I use the stubbies for playing bass. Um, and I play I better got, with these than I do yeah. conventional size picks. I can't use a big pick. It feels like I've got a dinner plate in my hand. It's well, you know what it is? I can exaggerate my, my arm movements and my wrist movements, which is actually easier tension wise. Yeah. And so it's ergonomic. Oh, I it's, should, uh, when we play together, I should uh, check that out because I honestly, I take the exact opposite. I have very small movements, very tiny. I've gone completely the other way. Like I, I, I was trying. So if you guys remember, if you go back eight or nine, well, probably 20 year episodes now, um, I was going through this thing where I was like trying to get my playing in order and trying to reduce picking motion and all this. And then I finally just said, fuck it. This is too hard. And like, I can already play really well now. So obviously I'm doing something right. And lo and behold, now I'm using giant picks and yeah, the whole other thing. Um, and I've also changed my string gauges, Jim. Now. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about string gauge since we're moving along. Um, what, um, what gauge strings are you moving to and from? I'm staying. So I was using a standard set of tens and I yep. went, I'm going 10 to 56 now. I'm going to the big guys. Yeah, so you're using a heavy, really heavy bottom end. Oh, I'm using heavy strings for for fenders anyway. Most people, most people are playing nines on fenders, um, at least the ones I find. And there, you you will find people playing tens. I'm like not in the minority. I mean, it's probably fifty fifty. Uh, I I would say anything above ten is basically heavy, and you're gonna have a hard time finding people that are using it. But the, the ten to fifty six set, it's mostly because um, for some of the stuff I'm playing, actually, and, and it's gonna sound really strange, but I find it to be less woofy using fatter strings it, it, it's something to do with not the tension but the um because the tension stays the same but it's the um i don't know the diameter or something and then the way the, the thing vibrates but i'm not getting as much as the the warble and woof that i used to get out of the same pickups and i and it's not it's really? not, i haven't changed brands of strings so i don't think it's the material i think it's i think it's literally the fact that the strings it, i'm trying to think how to how to describe it their elasticity there's less elasticity. And I think oh. 
so the tension's the same. The tension actually doesn't change. It's just the elasticity, how bendable is the string. And I that's why I think they're they're less bendable when you go up and gauge, and so it doesn't have as much path, which means the pickups right. change how they you know interpret the sound. So right. correct yeah, me if I'm wrong well, in the group. If somebody wants to speak out and say that I'm out of my mind, go right ahead. Right. I'm I'm all for it. Well, I know when you pick a string, um, the spring, the spring, the string um, moves in a circular Yeah, an elliptical path, right. Right, an elliptical um, movement. And that's what the pickup picks up. I'm wondering, given the fact that the string, because we're looking at magnetic pole pieces, um, and so we're we're creating that elliptical pattern, changes um, the magnetic... um, field right that's what we're picking up i'm wondering if the gauge of the string being big enough is actually being seen even though the elliptical turn is more as a smaller path not sure that's what i'm, I, I'm, that's what I'm wondering because the elasticity the, it, yeah. the elasticity is obviously reduced yeah with a, with a thicker string i just learned that the other day by the way i always thought it was like more tension or less tension so i'm not i'm not a god i don't know everything um and it turns out, actually, the tension doesn't change. It's the elasticity of the string based on the gauge. It still has really? to be under the same tension because that's what determines the string's pitch. So it's the same, not, same tension forces, but it's the elasticity. I did not know that. Yeah. I, I was under the assumption, well, that doesn't make any sense. Why is it that when you put a heavier gauge string on a, on a um, Lloyd Rose, that the string pulls, the, the spring it's pulled more. Yeah, given the change in um because that's tension. Because because you're messing with the equilibrium of the springs at that point. And so that that bridge is under is under elastic tension from the from the spring. I mean, is my understanding. So if you don't well, I guess I guess what no, you're saying is right. If it's static, then that's tension. The static position would be the tension. The I understand the elasticity. So, is the que- the- so here's here's the here's the question I'll have you pick in your brain. If you change, I, we need somebody with physics knowledge to get in on this because if you change, yeah. so on a Floyd Rose guitar, like let's say if you've never had a Floyd Rose guitar, if you break your low E string, right, right, and it, and it pops and you tear the winding, the yep. bridge is gonna is gonna tilt. Back. Down, yeah, it tilts back, right? So it, the whole bridge goes sharp. All right. Yep. And that's because the, yep, springs, because the springs, the springs are po- no. That's why, Jim, because because you don't have a string on there at all. That's why. I know, it, if I, so if you put right, a new string on, back. it doesn't pull it back exactly the same, and that's what what Jim's getting at. And I wonder if that's because you didn't adjust. So, like, let's say if you put the same gauge string on there, it should pull back in tune, right? And that and that and I, and I fall. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I've done that, that's and that's right. worked out. Give no change. So if you put right, a lighter no or heavier the, gauge, the gauge of the string. So if you put a lighter or heavier right. gauge string on there, that will affect the angle of the bridge one way or the other. Absolutely. It changes the tension. Right. But I wonder if and it's that big- tension is measured by the springs. The springs are it's a it's an analog measurement and it's not exact. Well, but that's but the thing. But that's the, the, but that's the like thing, it. Jim. If you change the gauge of string, you're changing the force back to the to the those springs. Right, which so is you, tension. I mean, it has to be tension. Yeah. So, so who told you the tension I, doesn't change? Well, 
let me let me now. Don't now, tell me you found it on the internet. <laughs> now we're gonna Google this. No, it was in a. It's actually a luthier somewhere on uh, YouTube. I really, think. I, think, I think you're wrong. I think they're wrong because, um, well, anyway, um, a couple of things that folks don't really think about when they're setting up their guitars and deciding on gauges is that a heavier gauge string with a higher um, uh, higher off the neck um, rather than closer down than rather than lower action um, will give you more sustain or more length of note than when you use a, a smaller gauge string um, with lower action. And that's just because of what you were talking about before, that elliptical pattern of the movement of the string. That's what I figured you were doing by getting heavier gauge strings and going into that thing. You, as long as your tuning it is the same. It still affects the elliptical pattern regardless. Yeah, it's going to affect the elliptical pattern, but the fact is that you're going to get a bigger elliptical pattern because now the thing is is larger, um, the string is larger, and by having a little bit higher action, which you have to do as a result of having the string, um, the heavier gauge string, then that's going to um, give you uh, more movement of the string, thus a bigger sound and um, typically more... Um, go ahead. There's a thing called tensioning compliance. Uh, string mm -hmm. tension is completely defined by three factors. The pitch the string is tuned up, tuned up to, it's vibrating length, and mass. And I'm reading this off a of website, by the way. Some luthier right. alliance page. Um, those interested in the formula by which those factors are related to pitch should take a look at the page on the website about string tension. Conventional wisdom is that a number of other factors affect string tension. Some are length of the instruments, length of string, breakover angle, etc. When these are all things we know. Um, so they call it tension and compliance is what I'm yeah. seeing here. And so there, there are other, there's a whole like study on this stuff. Um, string tension related information. So if you guys want to look, you can, you can Google around and you can find out about this. I, I what well, my understanding is because the bridge is now unified under the string tension of the other strings, you're not, you're not balanced with a single string. You're, you're balancing the whole bridge's tension against, what's going on with the springs in the, in the cavity. So that's, right. that would be why if you, if you snap a string, like the whole bridge is going to be out of whack. But, the, but the thing is, even if you put, if, unless you go to a lighter gauge string, you should still be able to pull it back in, in tune. And then you have to tune up all the rest of the strings and then it should be even. But that's just it. Lighter gauge string is going to change anyone. Anyone that's ever used a Floyd Rose will tell you when you put lighter gauge strings on, even if just well, it's not just a Floyd Rose. It's it's any floating tremolo system, right? But you're gonna you're gonna change that bridge. Well, but that's because all of the strings are interconnected. So you know you're no longer dealing with an individual string at that point. You're dealing with so if I put if I if I tune all those strings back up to pitch. That that bridge will be even. It will it will be even because they're not at pitch, right? So they don't. So you're not you don't have the same amount of tension pulling against that bridge anymore. That's why. Which okay, that makes sense. So I don't understand where they're getting this thing that like elasticity is different than tension. Right. Maybe they're saying that that maybe maybe this is maybe I'm misinterpreting this whole this whole argument and thing. They're talking about uh, and if I remember in the clip. Specifically, they're talking about string brands, right? And they're talking like Ernie right. Ball, Super Slinkies versus whatever else. 
and they're right. saying that super slinkies are more elastic, but they but they'll be under the same tension as the other string, and the, the elasticity is obviously if you've ever used super slinkies versus other brands of strings, they are definitely more pliable under the same amount right. of tension. But that's given that the gauge of the string is the same. Right. Right. Oh, and that's and that's the way it should be. I mean, right. That's that's the logic. I mean, I I don't know if anybody is. I think I'm, I think I'm just misinterpreting what what I read. Yeah. Or what I saw. I, th- I think I saw it on YouTube. Yeah, possibility. Um, so we got we got to change we got to yeah. change gears. That's really boring. Yeah, um, but not only boring, but just not even useful. No, use not useful information. Except but don't buy a Floyd Rose because they suck. Yeah, uh, and I think that um, I thought that you were going with, hey, I've changed my gauge of strings, so I'm getting a better tone. And of course, obviously, you're getting that less woofy tone. Well, yeah, no, it is a better tone. I mean, yeah. um, but that's not why I changed. I changed because I didn't want to feel like a wimp anymore when I was playing my low strings. Well, that woofiness. Yeah, I don't know. I <laughs> I think the heaviest low string other than a bass, obviously, that I played is a 48. Mm-hmm. I think that's the heaviest low string I've played. You don't, go, you don't go below 48? You don't go no. higher than 48? All right. No, higher, 54, yeah. 54 is not that high. No, but it's... it's All right, typically a 54 would be found on 11, a set of 11s. Correct, I use, correct. I use... Uh, so that's a 10. That's a, that's a hybrid set like I use for my hybrid sets of 9s. I right. like to have a lighter... My... My high three strings, uh, the high B or high E, B and G do you run, are typically, do you run nines in your Gibson? Yeah. Oh, it's gotta be like fucking rubber bands. Oh yeah. It's like, it's, it's incredible. You want to see, see how your fucking intonation is going to be off. Do that. But <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, what's worse. I, I think I, I automatically change that by moving my finger just a little bit. I think I always hear it. It's my no to, to bend a little bit. Yeah, yeah. It's something I do. Um, and uh, the other thing that, that I do tend to do, and I know I do this a lot, um, is uh, if if you played my guitar acoustically, you'd go, man, what fret buzz is this? <laughs> so so it, uh, let, let's talk about acoustics here in a minute. So yeah. I play um, I play tens, and I, yep. put, I have in the past used as low as eights. And uh, I'll have to say, I played that that white whale guitar, the uh, the Ingve uh, Malmsteen Strat, the other day with a scalp fretboard. And with eights on it? No, no, no. It has tens on it. Really? Like, yeah. Oh, yeah. They they come with nines or tens. It was, so oh, they, not, they come with nines. Eights. Oh, yeah. Oh, he plays eights. Yeah. He, he plays eights and sometimes goes as low as seven. Sevens. Um, yeah. But, like big Billy Gibbons. But what the fuck? Like, how does he even do that? Cause it's already hard enough with the scout. The scouts make it harder to play in tune. Like it makes intonation a nightmare. That is yep. the, that is the difficult thing about the scout fretboard. It doesn't make yeah. you faster. It makes you have to develop your ear. And, um, so I was playing and I was just thinking like, if he puts fucking nines on here, like what in the hell is this thing playing like, or eights rather, uh, we just, what in, I mean, Oh, anyway, so you, you play, nines on your on your i played nine forty sixes yeah which is basically like eights on a strat i mean right. that's my interpretation of that and then you play you you're running nines on your pari smith which kind of makes more sense to me um because yeah. they're somewhere between a gibson that's like that's where i run a nine and a half set on a fender right so 
That kind of makes sense to me. Now, Daddario says, right, it shows a tension chart, and it it gives you tension of the strings. Yeah, given the, actual, the, the actual per pound. Yeah, per um, per string, yeah, blah, blah, blah. So the set changes as you change. Um, so, so uh, yeah. But it'll be interesting to see if anything um, like that pops up. Um, anyway, uh, yeah, I use I use 946s. I've used 946s for so long, I don't know if I would be able to go back to 10s. I know when this guitar came, it had 10, 10s on it, and I did not like it. Well, but I should learn to play tens. I really should. Yeah. Um. So I used. Let me take. Let me take you on a journey. I'm gonna take you on a safari. Uh-huh. Back when I first started playing guitar, I used right. nines on my Stratocasters, and I got to be honest. Um, I went. I I went nines. I went to eights. I had thirteens for a while. Um, I ran thirteens for like a year or two. Ugh. Dark ages. And then I went back to um, I went back to nines, and I used nines for like four or five years, probably. And so two years on thirteens, I had nines and stuff in the real in the early days. And then right. so by the time I'd played for like five seven years, I was back at nines. I probably played like another two years on nines, and then I walked into a, actually it was a like a, a tchotchke shop in the mall, and right. the. A couple of the guys I was hanging out, they used to go in there and buy like, like uh, decorator swords, you know, um, the collectible yep. swords. So we were in there one day and the guy's like, oh, yeah, he's like, you play guitar? I was like, yeah. And he's like, he brings out his Stratocaster and he and he hands it to me and like I play for a minute and then hand it back to him. And I'm like, what kind of what kind of strings are those? And he's like, oh, they're 10s. And I'm like, yeah, dude, like I use, you know, I've used 10s and like I had 9s for, I'm just used 9s. Like it's, and he's like, listen, he's like, I used 9s for like 20 years. And he's like, when I finally switched to tens, he's like, for some reason, he's like, I just told myself it's going to be too difficult. Like, it's too much of a pain in the ass. I'm going to have to relearn it. Yeah. I'm not going to do it. He's like, when I finally switched to tens, he's like, I was like, what the, why am I being such a fucking idiot about this? And so I went to tens and never looked back. Um, and now, I mean, I, I think I struggled guitar up with eights a year or two ago, three ago, just to, just to remind myself what an awful experience that is. And... Yeah. <laughs> So I'm sitting here looking at the the uh, Daddario NYXLs, and 46 is or 56 is considered the heavy bottom on an 11. Yeah, 56 is a heavy bottom on 11. I don't and know. So maybe they're 54s. I'm gonna I say. The, I wonder if they're 54 because they're probably 54s because it's it's a, it's a box it's a box NYXL set. So whatever yeah, their skinny top heavy bottoms are. Well, their skinny top heavy bottom for tens is ten fifty two. Yeah, it must be fifty two. Which so. makes more, which makes a lot more sense. It just seemed like fifty six. Oh, a I lot. used to use I, a set with fifty sixes on well, it though. If you, yeah, I know a lot of guys who down tune. Yeah, I would use them for drop for drop D. That was basically yeah. the reason why I'd have it. And the whole reason I'm thinking of going up a gauge or two, possibly two, is because for the solo thing, I'll probably drop a full a full step. Yeah, if you to wanna, make it easier to sing. If you want to go down to D, then you should then you should definitely increase your gauges. Oh, I have to increase the gauge, but I'm thinking I don't know if I should go to ten or if I should go to eleven. Ten's probably good yeah. enough to drop a full a full step. I would probably, I honestly, I would probably go to elevens. Yeah, because tens. So even if I run tens right now and I drop down to D, it's going to sound like fucking elastic bullshit. 
It, yeah. you, boing, every time you hit a string, it's like ridiculous. Um, it, no, it is. It, it it's sounds like, a like you know thing. the you know those things. <laughs> you know those things on the back of the door that like the, the yeah. door stops and you like hit, yeah. hit it with your finger and it goes. Boing, 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 that's what it sounds yeah. like. Um, it's what it sounds like. It is. That's why that's why they make extended scale guitars and that's why they make uh they make thicker strings, I guess. I don't know. Um I believe it. Can we can we talk about that that clickbait shit I posted for a minute? Yeah, sure. Why not? Just because I want to fucking go off for a minute. I need to get mad this yeah, episode. I haven't yelled it. enough and like We haven't yeah, we haven't really done anything exciting this whole episode. All right. All right. For those of you who stuck Four around for this questions. for those of you that stuck around for this horse shit, what is going on on YouTube right now? Like I, honestly, Jim and I, are, you, you're, you and I are very, very critical of these assholes on YouTube. Um, yeah. Now, we obviously had uh, Robert on from Robert's Guitar Dungeon. He's a super cool guy. The his his channel, because of the way it presents itself, he can get by with some of these things. And I want to preface that because I know we we interviewed him already, and I want to make sure everybody understands like where our position is with with him. Because in relation to some of these other things I'm about to discuss, like right. it just it it's off the deep end. Um, yep. So I stumbled on Riffs Beards and whatever the fuck his channel is, uh, Fluff. Yeah, right. Yeah, um, and he has he has this this video out right now that's like ten five iconic five no yep. the, the the title of the video is the five most five iconic most. amps. Right. Right. No, no, not iconic amps that I like or anything like that. And then he proceeds to fucking the first two amps he mentions are the Tiny Terror, which okay, and, the and then the Line Six Spider. Seriously, you've got to be fucking kidding me! Iconic you, to who? Six year olds? No, dude. So here's the thing: iconic means like it, it, it transcends time, right? Right. So if right. we go. If you go 10 years in the future, is anybody going to be talking about the spiders from the early 90s? Only the fucking stupid asses that had them. Right. Like, I, I just don't I just don't see it. I mean, we all pine after a lot of the same stuff. I don't mean all of this, but I'm saying, like, there's a significant amount of guitar players that look for specific amplifiers, right? That's Absolutely. why the price is on deluxe reverbs from 65, which, by the way, was a very good selling amplifier for uh, Fender. And there's many examples that exist. They're thirty yeah. five hundred to four thousand dollars. In some cases, yeah. they're up to six, depending on how clean it is. So, yeah. and there's a collector's market for these damn things. There is no collector's market for the for the uh, spider. Okay, right. I don't care what version it is. There's no collector's market for the tiny terror. Okay, no, the tiny no. terror is now discontinued. Like yep. they they make for they, a reason. <laughs> All right, my experience with the tiny terror. Um, I think I mentioned this on the show before, but I played, I, I, I wanted one for a really long time. Like there was this, I had this fantasy about getting a really good clean amp and a really yep. good dirty amp. And the tiny terror was like going to fit that bill because I didn't want to spend a lot of money on both amps. Like I was just going to try to split the difference. And I tried right. the tiny terror and that fucking thing sounds like awesome. ass at, at lower what volumes. A piece of shit. Unless yep. you can, unless you can push that thing to halfway or higher, you're wasting your yep. time. And um, even then, I know it doesn't sound like much, but that one watt amp when it's pushed, like, that is no, loud. No, that's that's the uh, you're talking about the hybrid, the the micro terror. Oh, the micro terror. I'm yeah. talking about the the original lunchbox tiny terror, the one that came oh, out like, the, like ten years ago or fifteen years oh, ago. Oh, okay, okay, um, yeah. And I was thinking of micro terror, which is the one that never mind. Yeah, I I would still buy a tiny terror, but I but if I buy one, it's going to be like 
okay, I have this tiny terror amp so that I can turn it up loud. Like I'm not, I'm never putting the volume at like, like nine o'clock on it. It's just not going to happen. It's going to be noon or higher because they sound like ass at low volumes. Um, yep. Now they make some other ones. They make the dark terror. They make the dual terror. Like the, those amps are okay. I don't have anything negative to say about them. Um, they ushered in the lunchbox craze, which is really cool. And, and, and I understand that why somebody could say these are iconic because they ushered in the lunchbox craze. So that's fine, yeah. but I wouldn't put it in my fifth pick, right? If that was going to be one of the most iconic amps, that would be sixth or seventh because it, it, it is yeah. really important to what's going on in the amplifier world right now. But well, I'm, I'm, they are still making the tiny terror for Jim Root. That's the one that's I was That's the thinking. Jim Root terror. And it's 15 it's not the watts. Same. It's yeah. not the same thing. No. Um, it's very dark. Yeah, that's, it's like the dark terror. So and I, I think they, they still make the dark watts. terror too, but um, – yeah. They didn't kill the line, but they, but I think they kind of realized like that the original tiny terror, when you could get these other ones just didn't make sense anymore. So, so they decided to, to, uh, you know, to cancel it or whatever. I, I have a feeling orange will resurrect that thing in a few years. Um, yeah. and it'll probably be a whole like new ball of wax. They'll probably improve the circuit and stuff, but, um, yep. nevertheless, uh, when he gets to the spider, that's where he loses me. I'm like, what the hell is this thing? Like, why? This is not iconic. Look, I get it. Digital, digital amplification. Like, that's a whole thing. And it's become this massive thing. Um, nothing that line six has done is iconic. Okay. Nothing. Not the helix. Well, not the, maybe the pod. But we're not talking about amp simulators. We're talking about amps. Okay. Right. So that's why I'm like, ah, God, you know. I, I just don't agree with this at all, especially when you get through the rest of his list. He's got a JCM 800. He's got a Marshall Plexi. And yep. what was, oh, a PV5150. Wait a minute. Where's right. Fender? Where's Vox? Like, yeah. are you out of your damn yeah. mind? This is what I said. This was my response. Uh, if you're going to say five most iconic amplifiers, first of all, it would be hard to find yeah. five iconic yeah, I could see amps. doing 10. Right. I, I, I could right. But I if I was gonna try to get into five, obviously the plexi would be up there. But where's the fender basement? Or the fender deluxe or the fender blackface? I mean, what we you know, you've got your blackface and silver face, you know, people that like either one. But I'm just saying that <clears throat> where are the deluxes? Where is the um where is the uh uh basement? Where is the you know and if you were gonna talk about small amps, where's the blues junior? I mean Here's the things that that um, that's what I didn't get. Um, and the Fox Foxes. What I said was, like you said, they transcend. It, iconic means it transcends. A person who doesn't even know what a guitar player, you know, from a, a, a mailman would still know what Marshall looked like. Yep. Yep. That's why they know. still sell when Marshall's right. putting out garbage. They're still yeah. selling because everybody knows that ACDC and Judas Priest and Iron Maiden and all these fucking bands over the years used Marshalls. Absolutely. They haven't made an amp like what those guys used in 25 plus years. Yep. But they're still able to milk that brand. And then you've got um, Fender. Come on. Everybody that's seen a country western from hee-haw to now saw a Fender. Somewhere. Everybody that saw the Beatles or um, the Who or whatever, they saw 
Um, they saw Vox and they saw what's the um, help me out with the who Marshall so High Watts. I mean High Watt. That's what I was. The who also use Marshalls. Yep, Marshall. Yeah, I mean, we're high- all familiar with the High Watt thing because a lot of their filmed performances had High Watts, but they were using Marshalls in the beginning. And didn't uh, you could correct me if I'm wrong? Didn't Brian May use Orange for was it? No, uh, Brian, Brian May is a Vox um, AC30 guy. Orange, actually, the biggest orange user I yeah. the the biggest orange user I knew of was uh, uh, Tony Iommi. Yeah, Tony Iommi. That's how I was starting to think of. And it was one of the English band things. But again, people would recognize it right away. You know who? You know who killed that? Sharon Osbourne killed that because she insisted that everybody hide their amplifiers so every could, everything could look like this. And then all of a sudden, everybody had to put on these productions. Yep. But let, I mean, you know, it, the bands that continued to show their amps off, I mean, Hughes and Kettner, you know, it's only been in the last, what, 25 years or so. But Hughes and Kettner, those blue um, tubes yeah, were glowing f- behind Alex Lyson. Fancy looking. Yep. And um, uh, that's the thing. Uh, nobody, nobody that knows, that doesn't know guitars has would be able to tell you a line six of any kind. It doesn't matter what it was. Yeah. They wouldn't be able to tell you what that was. There's there's just very few brands where you can look at whether it was a, a live record album or photos from a you know a live show. Peter Frampton comes alive. I, I just don't get it. I really don't get it. I, I, could, I could not get behind his list at all. If he's going to choose iconic, go with iconic. Yeah, I mean, so let let's do this now. If we were to choose five iconic amps, I'm going to choose mine, and then you can choose yours. Right. I would say the JCM 800. He got that one right. I would say probably a Marshall Plexi, probably the 1968 Super Lead, yep. um, the 1959 SLP or whatever it is. And then because uh, we all know there are many famous people who use that amp from Van Halen to Jimi Hendrix. Um, and then I would say. Probably a deluxe reverb. I know a lot of people will say twin, but I would say deluxe reverb because it's even in even in small clubs, like you'll see that thing. And and the other thing the other thing about that amp, uh, you could easily interchange that if you wanted to go and say blackface fenders. And because they're all very similar amps, like I think you could almost get a pass with that. Um yeah. and then I the Vox AC thirty. Obviously, it was the Beatles amp of choice in the early days. And then, yeah. uh, you know, everybody else's amp of choice since. I mean, it's been it's been on countless records. It's been on countless stages. And then the the uh, so I was I got Fender. I got two Marshalls. I got Fox. I mean, if I had to pick a, a and, and, and I'm probably going to get shot here because I know there are big fans of the P5150 group in the group. But if I had to choose. Um, a high gain amp. I'd probably say the dual rectifier. Yep, Mason. I how many amps have copied the look of that thing? Even yep. even PV's done it. Yeah. So I'm not saying so, that, that the 5150 is bad. It would definitely be in my list of top ten. Oh, top ten? Oh, easily. That yeah. I mean, going. it would be number six. It would be right there. Yeah. Uh, followed by the Tiny Terror or some other lunchbox amp. You know, but. Yep. I, I would have to say, okay, so you pretty much hit everything I think that I would have mentioned. I would have had the Fender Basement in there. Um, yeah, I, mean, I could have easily Plexi. substituted that for for the 1959 Super Lead, except that you, I think the amp needs a specific mention because of 
Eddie Van Halen and Jimi Hendrix, yes. both using yeah. that amp to do completely different things. Yeah. Um, so I've got the, for a Fender, I would definitely, I, I'd have to have two Fenders and two um, Marshalls. Because I would have um, the uh, Fender, but I, I would probably go with brands. I would just say Fender, Marshall, Vox, and um, Orange. And then outside of that, honestly, it would depend on the genre. Because if I was in jazz, I would probably say the JCM, you know, the Roland. Um, if I was in, uh, as, as you bring us up like that, that that brings me to the bigger question because we know like there's the big three guitar manufacturers: right? there's Fender, Gibson, and, right. and now PRS. Even though yep. Ibanez probably produces more guitars than PRS does, I'm sure of it, and probably sells more, frankly. Yeah, um, yeah. but why? Yeah, and so um, look at the same thing. Like I don't know that Orange is really that big of a company. I think Orange oh. has gotten a lot of popularity because they they hit the right checkboxes at the right times in the last 10 years. Um, yeah. Cause I can remember when I first started playing guitars, oranges were like mythological. You, nobody had them. Like you could never yep. find them in stores. And when yep, you they did, were hard to get when you did, they were always the orange crush, the solid state thing. Um, <laughs> so yeah. When really what you wanted was a rocker verb. Well, I was looking uh, at that time. I was looking for the, um, they had a 15, an 80, 15. Oh, and, yeah. It's still on my list of like, if I see one somewhere, I'll probably buy one, but it's an incredibly rare amp. Um, I think they only sold a hundred or 200 of them here in the States. And they're not, they're not, there's not like a collector's market for these. I see them go on or reverb eBay every once in a while for like 700 bucks. But uh, I knew a guy that had one and his sounded incredible. So I was like, "Eh, if I ever see one, like I'll have to pull the trigger. But um, nevertheless, you're absolutely right. I, I I think I probably would pick them, but I think I think Mesa Boogie actually might kick them out, just because Mesa now is like the other amp company, and 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 it, yeah. even though I don't want to say that because I know Mesa's a small ass company, and they've gotten this um they've gotten this big head that, that the rest of the industry has given them based on the fact that they sold the Guitar Center for a while. And they were still small then. I mean, yeah. Yeah. Well, again, I wouldn't have room for them on my top five because I would have two, two um, fenders. I'd have the black, I'd have the, um, sorry, I'd have the uh, um, deluxe reverb and I'd have the uh, black, or I mean, basement. And then I would have the um, JCM 800 and the Plexi. And then I'd have the Vox AC 15. And that would be it. The only, that would be the top five amps. The only one I'm going to ask you to justify is the, the basement. So, like, I know the basement. Like, I know its lineage. I know where it comes from. Like, what bands make that iconic, though? That's that's what I'm asking. Like, how does that get its like, iconic status, other than we all know what a basement is? Well, I can say this. I mean, I'm not sure which bands, because I wasn't, follow, I wasn't one of those, hey, who's using it type people. But I know that in the 80s and 90s and early 2000s, the Fender Basement was something that a lot of people wanted to get their hands on. And if I remember right, I thought Stevie Ray Vaughan used it for a while. No. On something, but no, it, I could be wrong. Because again, vib- I'm a, yeah. Vibroverbs and again, super I'm reverbs. A, yeah. I, I'm not a guy that followed who was using what at the time. All I knew was you saw a lot of well, them. Well, the reason why you saw a lot of them, Jim, because they stages. were fucking dirt cheap. Yep. Um, I know that. And they were loud as hell, and they were poor man's marshal. And I can say this because, all right, so I come up, I come from a time when 
you still, when you played with a keyboard player, there was a chance that that guy was still lugging around a, a real, um, a Hammond B3. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he has a, a rent a truck thing. every time he comes, to, comes <laughs> yeah. over to jam. Your keyboard player had more, more space than the drummer. <laughs> yeah. Cause the Hammond's Cause huge. Dude, they I Hammond. I wish I could find a guy that could actually play a B3. Cause, cause you know this, Jim, cause you played with guys that used to use them. I mean, yeah. a B3 is not like any other keyboard instrument. No, they don't. No. They, you have. Yeah, go ahead. I, well, I was going to defer to you. You're, I mean, you're more of an expert than I am, but I, but just oh, yeah. knowing the people that I've seen that actually use them and watching how physical they actually have to get with that thing. And it's, it's a whole nother animal. And I'm sorry, but a digital Hammond is not the same thing. No. I mean, if you look at the Hammond, first of all, if you looked at the, if you just Google one and you look at it, there are knobs on there that um, it's like, unless you've been playing it for a while and you know what is what, you you're not going to know what the hell adjust, those things I, And you have these things you pulled out. Yeah, there's the drop bars for the, for the harmonic content. Oh, my God. And you had two sustainers and you had, you know, it was like flying a plane. To play one of those. I things. almost, when I was in college, and I was taking keyboard classes. I almost, like, I was thinking about looking to get one, and yep. I, I begged off because, really, the sound I was after was the deep, deep purple sound, right? Which is yep. basically a guitar. I mean, I, I, the way he's yeah. using it, he's got the he's got huh. the harmonics set up to sound like a guitar, and he's playing it into yep. a Marshall stack on on yeah. like Machine Head, for example. Um, and I was like, I could do that on guitar. Why the hell would I want to buy a Hammond? Like, it's not necessary. Um, now I might buy one of those little, uh, Mel nine or not, not the, what's the key nine C nine or whatever the, the electro harmonics pedal with the, uh, Hammond simulator in it. No, yep. yeah, I might buy one of those though. <laughs> all I can, yeah. All I can say is that when you would watch a person playing a, a B three, there was a lot of physicality going on when you were moving you know, uh, your, your sliders, you were, um, playing the key and then you had the, those black keys that were way down here, you know, that, that were for that real, you know, yeah. well, <laughs> it was, it was something to be seen. And, it, and most guys that rolled them in, they had these big, huge cases. And, and, um, so you, you, and you had these huge casters. Yeah. Yeah. I just can't see like, okay, so I'm a small town boy for the most part, although I've, you know, I've been in the city. I've never had to see somebody to move them in a walk up, but some of the horror stories I hear from my New York city friends I had to move them up walk ups or down into basements to get them. Oh there. yeah. And, what? and, and, and it's Certain not just the organ, the, the fucking oh. cabinets for them, cabinet. the, 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 the rotating speaker cabinet. As in giant yeah, fuck mo- giant fuck motor, okay, <laughs> Ins- yeah. inside yeah. a solid wood box <laughs> with with yeah. a fifteen inch speaker <laughs> that spins, <laughs> okay. <laughs> it's all I mean, mechanical. You a, yeah, you had this big motor. And it oh, was and it's really tube. Heavy. It's tube. Oh, no uh, thanks. So there is um, there's a company here in Illinois that makes um, they make. A scan. I think it's a scanner vibrato reverb. And what they did was they took the scanner vibrato reverb circuit out of. I guess it came out of the organ itself, but I thought it was out of the cabinet. And you right. can buy this thing, and it's it's yeah. in like a glass enclosure. Yeah, dude. It's like I think it, I think it's fifteen hundred bucks. 
but the sound of it is out of this world. And I, I honestly, if I have enough gear, gear fest money left over, if if uh, Sweetwater can't woo me away from all my funds, I might actually buy one just because, like it would, yeah, it would just be one of those frivolous purchases for the studio. Coolest fucking thing on earth. Uh, that that oh. sound of that thing. Um, but so I knew a guy when I was in high school who who he was um he was the same grade as me, but he was like he had early dismissal and he was going to he was actually working full time outside of school. And uh, I used to talk to him on. I think it was instant messenger. This is a long time ago. And he, um, one night we were talking and he goes, he goes, yeah, he's like, I got a Hammond today. I'm like, what? He's like, I got a rotating spear again. And I'm like, Oh, that's no big deal. But then later uh-huh. on, then later on, like I got to thinking about it and I'm like, wait a minute. I looked it up on the internet. I was like, Oh my God. Like these things are like three feet tall and like two feet wide. Like what the hell is he putting this thing? You know? Oh yeah. <laughs> he talked about taking it to gigs and stuff. And I'm like, you're insane. <laughs> so I just sent you a picture of a wet, of an organ. I actually learned to play when I was a teen. Yeah. Yeah. I just want you to see that thing. Oh yeah. So yeah, no dude, I've, I've sat behind them. <laughs> like I know. <laughs> yep. And so it's, a, it's just a, you know, it, I can't imagine trying to make now, of course a Hammond is smaller than that, but still I can't imagine trying to make that portable. Well, that's what the got, Hammond was like. The Hammond was attempting to emulate like a pipe organ. Right. I mean, what it did right um, and my pipe organ you used pedals you pumped them to get the air moving <laughs> all right since we're talking about hammonds and we're gonna close out the episode we're, we're an hour and four yep. minutes just so you know right now since we're talking yep. about hammonds i i, I want to bring this up because i think this is really important um to point out to guitar players we are the practical guitarist podcast and i feel like we really need to bring this up for everyone um so Old Hammonds and stuff like that. These guys that used to play them, a lot of them have just converted over to using either digital Hammond or they're using a Nord, oh, yeah. Nord with a Hammond voice, or they got you know some sort of MIDI sequencing thing going on where they can they can use um, you know a Hammond virtual instrument or whatever to get these sounds. And it's really kind of funny because um, we get, we as guitar players we're so fucking esoteric. Like yeah. how many how many guys do you know? And and I mean this for our listeners, not just Jim. But how many guys do you know who are? I'm not playing any deluxe reverb reissue. I'm going to buy the original vintage model. Oh yeah, like yeah. I, it's not the same. It's not the same. Look, I don't care whether it's the same or the not, or not. The reality is, the only one you're appealing to is yourself. Maybe, yeah. maybe one guy in the room who's got his arms crossed because he's another fucking guitar player will be able to tell the yeah. difference. Maybe. And who says who's there going? Yeah, my mind's better because it's got blah, blah, tubes. Yeah, in it. right. Or whatever. Like I got, a, I got new yeah, old stock a, tubes. Like, yeah. look, mine's a 60. Mine's a 62. That's a 61. What a piece of shit. <laughs> I'm not I'm not trying to harp on guys like Nick. Like, I, I get it. Having vintage guitars is cool, but I don't own anything vintage. And there's a reason for that. I don't want the upkeep. I don't want the insurance cost. And mm. frankly, I think it's esoteric bullshit a lot of times. I mean, yeah, okay, so the kind of stuff that you guys, that, well, specifically the Nick collects, a lot of that's like Gibson doesn't make this anymore or they, de- right. they never made it like this again kind of deal. Right. Where, right. Uh, where it's, I mean, look, if you're buying a 59 Les Paul, you can get pretty close to a 59 Les Paul right now. That's right. So, I mean, for, and I'm not saying it's not going to be the same, but you can get pretty damn close. Yeah, you um, don't need to spend $500,000 on it. 
Right. You could get it still for a few thousand dollars. If you really, really want that 59 reissue, that reissue is close enough. So Fender has, and, and I've been entertaining this thing. This is my short list of amps I'm going to look at when I'm at GearFest. Gosh, it's so far away. It's like 10 months away, and I'm still talking about like it's going to be like in a couple <laughs> weeks. Um, I, I'm entertaining the Deluxe Reverb Custom, right? The new one they came out with from the custom shop that's hand, hand-wired. Yeah. And I'm I'm only entertaining it. I may I I honestly it would be a hard sell. And this is my pledge as a practical guitarist to everyone. It would be a hard sell for you to get me to believe that, that it's worth three grand as opposed to buying the reissue for a thousand bucks. Like it just. Oh. Um. Yeah. But but I am going to demo them both. And if there is a difference and it's significant enough, and I feel like you know I want this to be an heirloom amp, and it's something I'm going to keep forever. Like then I'll buy the three thousand dollar one. I I will probably hate myself for it, but twenty years when I still have it, maybe I'll be like you know I'm really glad I bought that one because they don't make those anymore. Like kind of deal. Um, I don't know. It's just it, it's it's a whole thing that that other musicians do not have these problems. Um, yeah. keyboard players they don't care about what fucking cables they use. They don't give a shit. No. And they they, no. they don't give a fuck about their cables. They don't, they don't do care about see. any of that little micro shit. Just like we had the pickup discussion. And I, I I know I said I was going to address that in this episode, but I think we're going to save that for the next one where we address uh, how we kind of twisted things around a little bit and just kind of re- just touch on that topic a little bit in the next episode. But um, we worry about the smallest shit. Like, oh, what jacks has that got on it? Because those yeah. are tone jacks. Like, what the f- yeah. What the fuck? No, are yep. they solid? Do they work? That's what you should worry about. Are they going to stand up to abuse? That's what other musicians worry about. They don't worry about, oh, this is going to color my signal. They're like, you got yep. EQ on the board? Just just adjust. It's fine. <laughs> like, yeah. Make it work. Yeah. And, and I have to laugh because people are, the same people who are sitting there um, uh, telling you, oh, you know what? Doesn't matter what pickups you use. Um, are the same guys, um, and I'm talking about the pros that are the YouTube channels and so on and so forth. The same guys that are going, but you really need to buy this fifty dollar cable. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, come on, come on. You want to talk about? You want to tell me your changes? cable is more important than your damn pickups? And listen, Jim, you know this. You know this as well as I do. I have nice cables. I buy yeah. nice cables. I don't buy them for sound. I buy them for reliability. But right. so for me, it's, you know, I hear people like, oh, I got to swap out these pickups or I got to get this magic fuck cable. Like, what does it do? What does it do? Does it come to your house and does it massage your damn feet? Because exactly. it better for that amount of money. Yep. Yeah, I, I wholeheartedly agree. I'm, I'm all for paying people a living living wage. I get it. Like, you can't sell cables for, for dirt cheap and not have it made in the third world. I understand that. Um, The problem is we have these companies that are predicated on the fact that this is going to improve your tone. Right. How much? I think, I think the industry needs something. I, and I'm going to leave us on this final thought. Wouldn't it be great if the industry had a rating system that attached to every item that guitarists use? There was a percentage. And it said, this is how much it's going to affect your tone. 3%. 
one and a half percent. Cables, zero point seven percent. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> strings, exactly. Strings, zero point two percent. Okay. <laughs> uh, picks. 0.5%. You're going to get, and and I'm going to be honest with you. We did our pick test, our our, our string test. It's going to be out soon. Um, Jim and I have been talking about the logistics of how we're going to prepare this thing and how we're going to get it out. Um, Strings make less of an impact than the pick you use. Okay. Yeah. And, and I knew that going into this and it only goes so far in this to say it, it has to do with, what material the strings are made out of too. So if you go from nickel to regular, you know, like what we use now, the, the modern stuff, yes, your, your tone's going to change pretty significantly um, coming out of the guitar. But again, we're talking almost infinitesimal gains. Um, and that'll make a bigger difference, but your pick will actually change your sound more than your tone or more than your uh, strings will. It, it's just a fact. It's just a fact. And so cables, strings, picks, pickups in that order. We're going to address the pickup problem right now. It's it's we're 12 minutes. As long as we get it under an hour and a half, we're fine. We're an hour and 12 minutes. I only need five minutes to talk about the, the, the pickup thing. Okay. Jim's just, he's in the back seat right now. He's like, (laughs) Oh my God, where the fuck are we going? Listen. All right. So I'm going to go in the hierarchy here. But I started a minute ago. Hierarchy. So we're going to start. We're going to say. Cable, strings, pickups. Cables, strings, pickups. Tone wood. <laughs> uh, no, uh, actually probably tone wood before pickups. Tone wood, yeah. And uh, hardware before pickups. All right. Um, and then pickups, effects processors. Um, so, and that, and that includes your regular old effects pedals too. And then your amp. Okay. Your speaker cables down there with your other cables, like way in the, way in the beginning. Um, your power cables down there with your other cables way in the beginning of the hierarchy here. And then your cabinet and your speakers. That's the order in which you should be changing things in reverse. So you start with your speakers and your and your amp and your cabinet if you want to change your sound radically you go from that direction backwards because i'll be honest with you i have done it i have i've attacked this problem from every possible avenue starting from picks and strings and do it's going so far as to be the scientist about it and do ab testing recorded ab testing of picks right um and 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 I found that the things that actually matter, the things that matter most, the things that will get you the biggest gains for the least amount of money are your speakers, your cabinet, and your amp, okay? Your effects processors, bullshit, bullshit. If your amp is good, you don't need them anyway. I, I know that people are going to be like, blasphemy, you're a fuzz user. I, I completely agree. Like, I can't go out, go without my fuzz, which is why it's just behind all that stuff in the hierarchy here. But the whole thing is, if you have, if I have a shit amp, my fuzz pedal is going to sound like ass. There's nothing I can do about it. It has to be that way. So if you, if you're looking at your rig and you're going, man, I really don't like the sounds that are coming out of it, spend the hundred bucks or the fifty bucks to get yourself a replacement speaker or 
spend the $150 to get yourself a replacement 1x12 cabinet, or even go so far as to buy yourself a big 412 or something. You know, obviously, you're going up in money. And then as you get your amp, that's where you can spend the big bucks. And then you get into the, st- the smaller stuff that doesn't fucking matter. And I don't know how many guys I've seen in the gear page or other places that will go out and they will spend $500 on whatever fuck bridge will go in their, their you know, fancy jazz master or whatever to, to solve some problem with the jazz master design. And I'm, I point my finger directly at mastery master. Like the mastery bridge is not $500, right? Um, it, I think it's like 200 bucks. And, and I've heard people literally say, if you're going to have one of these uh, offset guitars with the, the funky bridges, you have to have a mastery because there are so the bridges are so esoteric. Uh, and then there are guys in the other camp that are like, why would you ever change the bridge on these? Um, I just look at the whole situation and I go, look, that's not your problem. Like you, the reason the guitar doesn't sound the way you want it to is because there's something else up, up the chain. It's all fucked up. You know, don't spend 250 or $300 on a bridge and a guitar that doesn't sound like you want it to to begin with. Project guitars, Jim. Like, this whole concept comes from this idea that we're going to take, we're going to take shit and we're going to polish yep. it into gold. Yep. Yep. But the, the yeah, idea the of a, um, you know what? We'll save it for the next cast. I think. <laughs> All right, I'm just all saying because right. I have stuff that I want to say. It's going to take more than ten minutes. Jim's so rebuttals coming. Jim's rebuttals coming to the next cast. Right. And I've been David, and I've been Jim, and we're we've been the practical guitarists. guitarists. And we're out.